All right, now if you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians. You remember that book we were studying about a month ago, I think, was the last time we were in Galatians? Uh, we've been working our way through this uh, great letter that Paul wrote. And if you remember, he was writing this to that area in central, what we call Turkey today. Uh, and uh, there had been some false teachers come around after he had been there, uh, he and Barnabas, and and had begun teaching that, oh, that, that's those things that Paul taught you about your sins being forgiven by putting your trust in Christ and what it is that he did on the cross for you. Uh, those things that he taught you about, it's just a matter of faith, and then God gives you forgiveness, and he gives you the gift of eternal life. Well, that's all nice, but what you have to do first is you have to come in through the door like we did. And they were Jewish people who were teaching this. If you're not Jewish... You're men, men, you have to be circumcised. And all of you Gentiles, you need to start following the Old Testament law. Then all that stuff about Jesus can apply to you. But it starts with doing. And, and you know, Paul has been working in the first two chapters we've already covered very uh, thoroughly to say, no, that, that is not the case. And, and he's had to, t- to take some time and, and say that... My message is true because I am God's messenger. And so he'd laid out in those first two chapters evidence for the fact that he is, in fact, a true apostle or sent one of Christ, not just of a particular church. There were people who were sent out by individual churches as messengers, but he was, in fact, an apostle of Christ who had word directly from him. And then you may remember, as we started into chapter 3, He just starts asking them some questions from their own experience. What have they experienced? Where has it come from? These good things that God has given them, where did they come from? Did they come from keeping the law or by putting their faith in their Savior? And the implied answer to all of those is they came from putting their faith in Jesus who took their sins on himself, paid the penalty, and offered them that free gift. So source is really important, right? Who, who is it that's giving you the information? Paul's been treating that idea of source a lot here. But you think about the source of things. Uh, say, say you're in an area where there's just not much water. Water's pretty critical, isn't it? We need it to stay alive in some form or another. Um, maybe you have a, a toddler walks up to you in this area where it's really, really scarce, and they, it brings you this this tall glass of clear liquid. Very rare, very strange. Probably your first question ought to be, where'd you get that? Right? Because there's a lot of things that look, a lot of clear liquids maybe look like water. And if it is water, it refreshes your body, it gives it what it needs. If it's one of those other clear liquids, might not have what you need. Might be good for fuel, might be good for cleaning, might be good for a lot of other things, but if the source is a well or a barrel or a container that doesn't contain water, you want them to stay away from that source, right? Paul is now going to talk about how it is that we come to be right with God. How can we have a relationship with him that, so that we're not under condemnation? He's going to say, 
key thing is, is you have to go to the right source. So if you'd follow along with me as I read Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14, um, he, he continues on in some ways from the first six or, or first five verses, but now he really digs in on this idea of the source of that righteousness of that salvation. And so he says, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, it is those who are of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many are, as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, one of the things as I was reading through there that you couldn't necessarily see was that throughout this passage, Paul is using a particular preposition. And prepositions, those little words that describe, describe the relationship between things, we, we, we go over really quickly, and, and they can be used interchangeably sometimes. But the, throughout this passage, he starts using this one particular preposition. In Greek, it's the two letters E-K, ek. And it's usually translated from, or possibly by, or of. But what makes it different from the other words that might be translated from, or of, or by, is that it means out of, as a source. So you might use it about a person. You say, oh, well, he is from... Montana. In other words, that's his source. That's where he came from to be wherever that other place is. So whenever you're talking about something existing in a particular source and, and that's where you got it from, this word is particularly useful in, in, in telling us that. And the fact that Paul uses this over and over keys us in that he wants us to really think, where does righteousness that can be accounted to us, come from? What's its source? In fact, he's already been using this, uh, this little word already in, in the first five verses. For instance, verse 2, he says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or out of, as a source, the works of the law? Is that where the Spirit came from? Because you kept, you kept the works of the law? Did he come to you out of that source? Or by, here's that, that preposition again, out of faith with 
hearing. You have two different sources here, right? Keeping the law or trusting God. So how did you get the Spirit? Which one of those barrels, so to speak, did you draw out of? Or which one of those wells did you draw out of? Also in verse 5, he does the same thing. He says, So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by or out of, as a source, the works of the law. Is that where all those amazing things God did in your midst? Is that where they came from? Because you were all good law keepers? Is that the barrel, so to speak, that those came out of? It says, or by, as a source, hearing with faith. And so he's launching now into the, in the next section, using that little preposition again and again to say, what's your source? Is the source that you think you're getting righteousness before God or, or salvation from, is it a source that it can even provide that? Or is it like drawing out, you know, a nice clear glass of something that's not water, that won't take care of your thirst, that won't give your body what it needs? So in verse 6, he takes them to source. These false teachers, no doubt, have been coming to these people who have, have professed faith in Christ and, and started these churches. No doubt they've come to them and said, well, you can't just jump in straight to Jesus. You've got to go back to the source. Go back to Moses. Moses is the one who led us out of Egypt. Moses is the one that God gave his law to. Moses is the one that, that formed us into a nation and through us, then the Messiah came. And in verse 6, Paul says, you don't go back far enough. If you want a source, well, you have to go back to Abraham. Take things back further. Take them back deeper. Was Abraham the father of the, of the whole Jewish nation? Was he justified before God? False teachers, I think, would say, well, yes, of course he was. Well, how did it happen that he was justified before God? Well, it happened long before the law existed. In fact, further down in the chapter, in verse 17, Paul will state that the law didn't come for another 430 years. So Abraham certainly wasn't declared righteous by keeping the law. It wouldn't even exist until generations after Abraham was around. And yet in, in, in verse 6, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Reckoned. That's an interesting word. We don't use it a whole lot. But it's an accounting term, right? It means accounted. Your, your, your version might say it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, in the context there of, of Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God that the descendants that God had promised would be his. They would be there. They would, it would come to exist. And God credited it to his account of right and wrong, his own righteousness. 
So instead of seeing Abraham's sins, and we have examples of quite a few of Abraham's sins in, in the book of Genesis. There's things that he did wrong, ways he didn't trust God. But he became one who entrusted himself to God at this point, and God gave him the gift of forgiveness for those sins, and instead of his black marks against him in his sin account, he had not just wiped clean, but he had righteousness credited or reckoned to his account. And he didn't know it, but it would be the righteousness of Jesus in advance credited to his account. So no longer having a debt, but positive righteousness made him right with God. So then God entered into, if you follow through, and we don't have time to get into the details of Genesis 15, but then after that, God enters into a one-sided covenant with Abraham. If you remember the story, how had Abraham cut all those animals in half, and, and how then that, that burning uh, thing went through, representing God's presence, pass between those animals. Typically, both people making a covenant would pass between the animals that had been cut in half and laid out, basically saying, if we break this covenant, then may what happened to these animals happen to each of us. God passed through alone and said, I'm bound to you together forever, Abraham. That's how his righteousness came to be Abraham's because he was willing to join, God was willing to join himself to Abraham in that way. And he showed him then that yes, in fact, you can have my righteousness credited to your sin account because I'm willing to join myself to you. Well, these false teachers might have objected. Well, but Abraham was circumcised. So you Gentiles, in order to be considered children of Abraham and have the same salvation that Abraham had, well, you need to become sons of Abraham and be circumcised like Abraham was too. Interestingly, the covenant of, or, or the sign of circumcision, which was a, was a sign of the covenant that God would enter into with the nation Israel, didn't come till 14 years after Genesis 15:6. It wouldn't be until that point that God would command Abraham and his descendants to have that mark that showed, yes, we're part of this national covenant or family covenant, you could say, with God. And so without the law, without the sign of circumcision, Abraham was given righteousness. And so Paul really cuts the legs out from under this whole argument that these false teachers are giving the believers in Galatia, saying, no, now look at Abraham. He's where all the Jews came from in the first place, but he was in right standing with God simply by believing. Didn't have the law, didn't have circumcision, simply by entrusting himself to the one who promised he had righteousness. And so as Paul continues in verse 7 of Galatians 3, he says, Therefore be sure that as those who are of or out of as a source, faith who are sons of Abraham. So he goes back to that little word about source again, right? It says in the, 
The, the ones who can be called sons of Abraham in the most important sense come out of the source of faith or believing in him. Now, God did make a covenant with Abraham's physical descendants, and that remains true to this day and will continue into the future. And that is demonstrated by a physical sign, by, by circumcision. But that is secondary to God's overall purposes. And it's not about being justified before God. The connection with Abraham that matters most is by following his example, by trusting in God's provision to make you righteous, to give you a, an account where righteousness fills it up. Paul continues. The scripture, verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by or out of the source of faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. <clears throat> and so he actually then takes us even further back into Genesis, to Genesis chapter 12, and if you just turn back there to the first uh, book in your, your Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And verse 3. We have a little bit of the context just being that this is really Abraham's key and first uh, connection with God. Um, where God's calling him out of his own country to go and, and live somewhere else and just trust him that, that he had something good for him. And in verse 3 he says, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul says, that's the gospel. That's the good news. It's just kind of the beginnings of it. It's not super clear, except what's going on here is that the good news being all Gentiles, all the nations, are in need of something great. The good news is that Abram, as he was called at that time, was, was to believe from the beginning of God's de dealings with him that God was going to provide through him what all people around the world need, which is forgiveness of their sins and righteousness credited to their account so they can have a right relationship with God. Because there was no Jewish nation then. There was only Abram. And it was all the nations, he says, that would be blessed through Abraham, not just the one that would grow out of his family. That's all he had to go on. That's what Abraham believed. That God would, through him, provide the blessing that all of humanity needed. And there's really just one thing that all of humanity needs. Salvation from their sins. Forgiveness of their sins and his righteousness credited to them. And so Paul says, even when you get to chapter 15 and God or an Abraham, Abraham believes God and it's reckoned to him as righteous. So what's this based on? Oh, it's the fact that back here, God said, through you, I'll bless all the nations. 
Because in chapter 15, uh, Abraham's like, I have no children. How are you going to do that through me? God said, you're going to have so many children, you're not going to be able to count them. And Abraham said, okay, that's good enough for me. I believe that you will do that, and through that, you will bring that one who will bless all of the nations. It was through faith. It was out of the source of believing, not doing perfectly. In fact, verse 9, then, of, of Galatians deals with the issue of blessing that comes out of faith. And Paul's already been dealing with the Galatians, right? He said, did you get this blessing out of faith or out of keeping the law? Did you get this blessing out of faith, trusting God, or keeping the law? Verse 9, he says, So then those who are of or out of faith as a source are blessed with Abraham the believer, or the believing one. Where does all true blessing come out of? It comes out of believing God. And if you're, if you're looking then, you know, back, back at, at, at Genesis chapter 12, you know, it started with a man who had no real blessing. Oh, he had material things. But verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. Oh, not only will he be blessed, or honored, receive good things, but he himself would become a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones I who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now seven, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Here, after living in this same place for quite a while, what, knowing what he knew, just, just that promise from God, it, Abraham says, yeah, I'm, will, I'm willing to just uproot and go to some place I've never been, some place I don't know. Because God said that's the source of blessing is believing him, trusting him. He had no concrete evidence, source of evidence to go on other than the fact that he knew God. He simply had to believe that God would use him to bless all the nations. That was the source and what did all of the nations need to have again? Every person needed forgiveness and salvation. So God would play out this plan that starts there in, in chapter 12 of Genesis over centuries. And it would involve Abraham's descendants. And then he would give them a law that would be a tool in that as well. But the tools used along the way shouldn't be confused with the source of the blessing or the goal of the blessing, which is more ultimate blessing, salvation and a, a relationship with God forever. So here he's saying the greatest blessing comes out of faith, believing, believing that God would provide for sins to be paid for through a descendant of Abraham. This, of course, is Jesus. So now, we're able to believe in, in the same thing 
but looking back and seeing that it's already happened. We know who that descendant of Abraham was that brought that blessing. It's Jesus. On the other hand, let's say you say you want to go to the source of keeping the law. I don't want that barrel. I don't want that well. I'm going to draw my salvation out of this other well, this other source. I'm going to just keep the law. And then I'll be all right before God. Well, here's what Paul says about that. He says, For as many as are of or out of, as a source, the works of the law, they're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. It's not a good scenario, is it? If your source or your well for salvation is keeping the law, Paul says, well, look back at what was told you when you got the law. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. And he, and he, he quotes it for them. But I want you to go ahead and turn back there so you can kind of scan up and down the page from that verse. I won't have to take time to read all of that. But Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, verse 26, you can see there the words that Paul quoted, Cursed is everyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Well, what's been going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 27 is, is the, the nation is getting ready to take possession of the land God has promised them. And God has said, take all the people and put some of them on this one mountain. and Take the rest of them, put them on the other mountain. And in the middle, that's in, at verse 8 of this chapter, he says, you stack up some rocks and you put some plaster on them, and you write out all this law that I've given you. And on the one side, you have the people recite this part of the commands I've given you. And say, blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you if you do this. Echoing in the valley. And then another part of the, of the people were over on the other side saying, cursed are you if you do this. Cursed are you if you do that. And if you look back up the page, you can see that word repeated again and again and again. You, you do these things, what comes on you but a curse. But then it's all summed up in verse 26 where he says, Cursed is the person who does not confirm the words of this law by doing. Not just the examples that they recited while on the mountain, but that whole law written on those stones down in the, down in the valley. If you don't keep them all, if there's one of them you don't keep, what's on you? The curse. Condemnation. So violating any, any of those requirements inscribed on the monument brings the curse of condemnation. There's a curse on those who don't keep every command. So if you're going to come to this source for justification, blessing isn't there because everyone fails to draw salvation, justification out of that source. And what's in this, that particular source in that well wasn't made to get, bring justification. If you come to it for that, you'll be disappointed because it can only bring a curse to sinners. And Scripture's clear, we are all sinners. Now Paul's going to take quite a bit of time later in Galatians to talk about the purpose of the law. But just a, a brief 
explanation of that you can find in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, which says, by or out of, as a source, <laughs> the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law, here's the purpose of the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So you can't use it for that purpose because it wasn't made for that purpose. It wasn't made to make anybody right with God. It was made to make you knowledgeable that you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. So don't go there for salvation. You go there and find out, oh, when God gives a righteous standard, I don't measure up. I fail. I don't keep it. And, and then Paul continues in verse 11, drawing on the Old Testament again. He says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. And there he's quoting from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And in the verse, or in that section, he's contrasting living by faith with the wicked man, or the proud man. The proud man is this way, but life comes through believing. Life comes through trusting God. And Paul's translation of that Old Testament passage, guess which word he puts in there? Out of, as a source, that little word, ek, right? You live your life living what's truly life. It comes out of trusting God. And it's interesting that he quotes out of Habakkuk. Because if you remember this, this little tiny book in the Old Testament, Habakkuk, Habakkuk looks around at the Jewish people and they're, they're sinning like crazy. They're not trusting the God who made them into a nation. They're not trusting the God who gave them his law so they could see what was right and what was wrong. They're not trusting in the God who has blessed them and been patient with them over and over and says, God, how long are you going to let these people go on without punishing them? And God comes back to them and says, oh, by the way, I'm bringing the Babylonians or the Chaldeans you know, those strong warriors, those powerful warriors, they're going to come and they're going to bring devastation on this land. And Habakkuk says, oh, 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 wait a minute, Lord. Yeah, my people are wicked, but those people you're bringing to punish them, they're even more wicked, and I don't get this. How can you do this? And in essence, God says, in the struggle, you have to trust me. You have to live out of trusting me even though you don't quite understand it. You have to live out of, as a source, faith. Because trying to live out of the law just brings a curse, just brings condemnation. And as Paul continues in verse 12, he says, however, the law is not out of, or not of faith, or in other words, out of a so the source of faith, on the contrary, and here he quotes from the Old Testament once again, he who practices them shall live by them. Now here he's quoting out of Leviticus, where the law was given, Leviticus 18.5, if you want to look at that. But trying to live out of keeping the law, again, just leaves a person living in those laws, but finding themselves condemned again and again and again. 
And that big if in there, that if, if you keep them, you live in them. And there's a sense in which keeping for the Jewish people, if they, kept God, if they kept God's law more than they broke it, there was blessing there for them. The more they kept God's law, the more blessing there was for them. Life here was better for them. But in the long run, they didn't keep it as was necessary to be righteous. You broke one and you found yourself under a curse. Well, that's where you live. You live in the curse. You live in failing again. You live in, oh, how can I ever do this? And that's, that's what Paul's trying to get across to them. Um, it's just like James taught in, in chap, James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Turn back there to, toward the end of your New Testament. When it comes to the law, he says, for, he who's, or, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit ad adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And in essence, Paul says, that's no place to live. Trying to keep the law in order to become righteous. If you're going to live in that, you're living in a curse. So where's the hope? Is there hope? Yeah. Yeah, verses 13 and 14, as Paul wraps up this section, he says, yes, 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 there is hope. Because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He redeemed us. Uh, it's a word that gets thrown around in Christianity a lot. We hear it in songs, but most of the time do we really think about what it means? Redeemed uh, really means to buy someone out of slavery. You pay the price to get them out of slavery, and then you give them freedom from what they had been in. You set them loose and say, no longer do you have to be the slave of a master. Christ did that for us when we were living in the curse, under condemnation. He says, I've done it for you. I have bought you out. We existed in the slavery of being cursed by sin. And because of his amazing love, he wasn't content to leave us there. But instead, he paid the price to bring us out. Well, how did he do that? Well, it says he became a curse for us by hanging on a tree. And it quotes, again, from the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And, and, and we immediately go to the thinking, oh, well, yeah, he died on a cross. But we also miss the fact that in, in Israel, people weren't killed by being hung up on a tree. They were stoned to death if they were condemned. And then, to shame them, their dead body was tied up on a tree or a post as if to say, here is the shame that this person deserves, even though they're dead, displayed as a condemned one, displayed as one who should have been 
executed. And so you can see why crucifixion was the perfect way for Jesus to die if he was going to become the curse for us, right? He died like a common criminal, like someone that Roman citizens couldn't, they couldn't be crucified. But Jesus died that way and then was hung up there in shame, saying, this one deserved to be condemned. They even put a sign up above his head. And he became the curse we deserve to be. He bore the shame that we deserve to have. Because he never broke any of the law, did he? He lived perfectly. And he came and was able to take that on himself for all. First uh, Peter chapter 2, 24 shows that to us. First Peter 2, 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. He took his, our sin on himself as though he were the sinner. He got the punishment. He got the shame. It all fell on him. And that's where then the joy is in verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now, we don't have to go back and find out that we're cursed and cursed and cursed and cursed over and over. You know, we could be like Abraham, who was never under the law. We go straight to believing God that he would send one who would bear our sins. And in that, be granted righteousness. So that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's his Spirit that brings us back to life that gives us new life to live with him and in him. And he becomes that source that we need so desperately. So it makes no sense, Paul says here, for anyone to think that keeping the law could bring them into a right relationship with God. You can't go back to the Old Testament and prove it. Paul says, let me show you what the Old Testament says. That was never God's plan. He was giving the gift of righteousness to those who would believe all along. They looked ahead in hope that that one would come. We look back and say, he did just as he said. Look at that. I entrust myself to him who sent someone to be the curse in my place. And it's never changed. It was made possible through the one who was, as it says in the next verses down, the seed of Abraham who took our sin, its curse, its shame, on himself for us. Is it any wonder that this time of year we celebrate that he was born? They might say this isn't really much of a Christmas message, Christmas season, but isn't it? Isn't it? That that one was born through, the, through Abraham, a descendant of him, that would come and do all this for us? I hope that energizes your Christmas celebration. So it's not just about a baby. It's about the one who would redeem us by becoming a curse for us, paying all that, and then rising from the dead, giving us new life.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the great hope that we have that is not based on us doing or accomplishing because in our own strength we can't. We just again and again find out we blew it. We didn't live up to your expectation of what righteousness is. Uh, We didn't line up with who you are and all that you made us to be. And yet you didn't leave us to just live in that state of being cursed, of being condemned and expecting judgment. Uh, But you redeemed us. You bought us out. You paid the price. You gave us new life. Just all we have to do is entrust ourselves to you, to believe in you. And then you bring that righteousness to us. Father, if there's anyone here who hasn't come to you and received that gift, I pray right now in their own heart, they would admit that, yes, they have broken your standard of righteousness and and they are cursed, they are condemned, but they want to receive what Jesus purchased on their behalf. So you just draw them to yourself right in this moment. Help them to see that there is life in believing, a life that continues on gloriously past this moment and past this life. Thank you for sending Jesus so that all this is possible. We praise you in Jesus' name.